Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are here with you on Thursday, May 20th. Michael Beller and Derek Van Riper are getting back to our Thursday rotation of beat writers and joining us to start today's show, Tim Britton, who covers the New York Mets for us. Tim, thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yes, this is uh, you know, a team with a lot going on. Just want to dive right in. So many injuries. We've got Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil, Brandon Nimmo, J.D. Davis. All these guys are on the I.L. Pete Alonso set out yesterday's game with a wrist issue. I mean, just so many guys that are regulars, that are starters, that are guys who you count on for you know not just being in the lineup, but big-time production. Uh, how are the Mets going to cover all this while they have to? You know, it, it's been uh, creative use of the roster the last week because it, you know, they they'd been experiencing some injuries. You know, they lost Nimmo and Davis the first week of May, and those guys had been really the most consistent parts of their lineup to that point. Uh, and then the the last week has just accelerated it to a, another degree where they lost Conforto and McNeil on Sunday uh, against Tampa Bay. They lose Kevin Pillar, uh, you, you know, on Monday night when he gets hit in the face. Uh, Alonzo was out of the lineup on Wednesday with a wrist issue that he, he got x-rays done. They they don't expect that to be uh, an IL placement at this point. But, you know, it's, it's affected certainly his production on the field uh, while he's been playing through it. So you're seeing, you know, Jonathan VR has started 16 consecutive games, uh, a guy who has been a, a good fantasy player in the past because of uh, the stolen base threat that he is. And he's he's hit he's second on the team in home runs at this stage, only behind <laughs> Alonzo uh, because they've had so much lack of power uh, that really the, the only regulars in that lineup uh, at the moment are Alonzo, James McCann, and Dominic Smith. And even McCann has been supplanted a little bit this past week by, by Tomas Nito, who's come up with really their biggest hits in the last three games. Yeah, you mentioned VR, Tim. Given the timetables for all these moving parts in this lineup, does he look like a temporary regular, at least for the next few weeks? For those who picked him up a couple of weeks ago, can they still expect him to have a pretty prominent role, at least through the end of the month? Yeah, you know, while I think J.D. Davis might be the first of this glut of players to come back for the Mets, and, and he plays third, VR's been playing third, uh, if Davis comes back, you know, VR can play elsewhere, he probably shifts over to second, uh, you know, where McNeil is the regular, he's on the IL, Jose Peraza has done a decent job there. Uh, filling in, but you know, I think they prefer VR over Peraza on a more consistent basis. And second is VR's best defensive position, probably. So he probably slots in there until McNeil is back. You know, depending on on how other things go, VR can also play the outfield, uh, usually center field. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, if if Nimmo is slowed, uh, if uh, Conforto is slowed, and they want to play Nimmo in right and VR in center a little bit while while Pilar is out. You know, the, the versatility of some of those pieces helps make it easier for them to bounce guys around. Like, even if McNeil comes back, VR can stay at second. They can play McNeil in the outfield because he's done that as well. So they can they can move these pieces around a lot to kind of construct the best batting order while making it work defensively. 
Yeah, Jonathan VR actually among the top 25 producers in Roto Value over the last couple of weeks. Derek and I are going to be getting into some of those guys a little later in the show, but VR uh, definitely has been a nice return filling in for all these guys who have been injured on the Mets. Another guy who is on the IL right now, Jacob DeGrom, set for a rehab start later today. Let's just, I, I know this is a, a risky thing to say with this team, but let's just assume right now that that goes well. What's the next step for DeGrom if we do get that uh, news later tonight that all was good in the rehab outing? Yeah, I think if all goes well, then then they'd, they'd probably uh, pencil him in, not in pen, but but pencil him in <laughs> for a Tuesday start against the Rockies at home at City Field. That would give him his usual between starts routine. You know, the last time he experienced this this lat tightness, this back tightness, they they didn't put him on the IL. They had him kind of it, it wasn't a rush back, but he didn't go through his usual two bullpens, touch and feel session, the whole preparation that he goes through before a start. Uh, they've done that this time before his rehab start, and then they'll try to do that again between the rehab start and a, a big league start. So presuming he doesn't experience you know, increased pain over that, that period of time, increased soreness like he has the last couple times, uh, that, then he'd be able to slot back into the rotation next week. Some more potential good news for this rotation on the horizon. Noah Syndergaard started up his minor league rehab assignment this week. Looks like four scoreless and 44 pitches that first time out. How many more starts do you think we're going to see from him on that assignment before he's actually ready to contribute for the Mets again? Yeah, Luis Rojas said it's it's going to be at least four rehab starts total. Uh, you know, they'd go four innings, four innings, five innings, five innings. Uh, at that point, they can probably reassess and see if they want to do the, the six-inning thing in the majors. Uh, it might depend on on where, what the state of their rotation is uh, at that point. But they've, they've mentioned mid-June as kind of the target for Syndergaard for a long time now. Uh, and it seems like he's just he's on track for that. Uh, so as much as so many other things have gone wrong for them injury-wise, Syndergaard has been kind of steadily uh, progressing the way they had hoped uh, and on their timeline as planned really since since January. Uh, so it, it's looking good for him at this point. But, you know, we, we've said that before with the Mets. Uh. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Easy to get excited, though, about where this team could be a month from now if all these guys are indeed back in the lineup and in the rotation. The big move this team made in the offseason, of course, was the deal with Cleveland getting Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor. Hasn't exactly worked out. Carlos Carrasco hasn't thrown a pitch this season. Francisco Lindor has been nowhere near the Francisco Lindor that we expect him to be. Is there any explaining what's gone wrong with him to this point? And are you seeing any signs of a turnaround other than the fact that he's got this track record, he's still in his 20s, he's Francisco Lindor, and we should expect a player of his caliber to eventually regress to his mean? Yeah, you know, I, I think you've seen, you know, he went, he went through that, I think it was 0 for 26 stretch mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks back, and that was... You know, you, you see hitters go through slumps. Uh, you're not used to seeing a star go through a slump like that where he, you know, he looks lost at the plate. It's not him hitting into a lot of hard luck. Uh, it was he looked lost. He didn't look like himself. Uh, he, he, he found it a little bit for a stretch and then had a rough weekend series against the Rays. Not totally uncommon. A lot of guys have rough weekend series against the Rays pitching uh, and has been a bit better against, again, against Atlanta. You know, I think having covered teams in big markets that make big acquisitions, those guys, it, it can snowball on you fast uh, in a in a market like New York or Boston where I worked previously, uh, where if you don't get off to the start you want, uh, the fan base gets uh, hostile pretty quickly. You get booed on the second homestand the way Lindor was. Uh, I think he's adjusted to that. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I'm, the track record suggests that, that he'll be fine longer term. I, you know, I think my concern would be 
uh, that the ceiling for his offensive performance is not what it was in 2018 or when, when he was hitting 37 home runs, I think was his career high. And the, the OPS plus was, was 135 or so. It's probably a little bit closer to he'll be, you know, a, a 115 OPS plus guy, maybe 120, which is still obviously huge value for a, a premium defensive shortstop. He's been a, an outstanding defender all year uh, for a team that, that hasn't been good defensively uh, in the past. And, and they're a lot different this year in part because of what he's brought to the middle of their infield. Uh, but I, th- I think you probably lower your expectations for his very best performance, but certainly you, you expect him to get closer to, to where he's been as a player than he's been so far this year. He was probably never booed in Cleveland, was he? Right? I mean, that was probably the first time he ever got booed by the home crowd. <laughs> he, he did say that. That was the first time that it happened to him. So that, that's that's how New York works. <laughs> yeah, that definitely never happened to him in Cleveland. Uh, let's talk about Dominic Smith just for a few minutes here. He's off to a slow start, and I'd Frankly, I was a believer in what he was doing in 2019 and 2020. I mean, he's always a bat-first prospect coming through the Mets system, and it just seemed like he was really unlocking the power in what I thought was a sustainable sort of way. But it's been a slow start for him. What's been the difference for Dominic Smith to this point, Tim? Yeah, the, the first month of the season, he couldn't hit breaking balls, uh, which was strange because he was really good against them last year. Uh, you know, that was part of the breakout was his ability to handle secondary stuff. And I think I, I want to say he was like one for 27 off of breaking balls in the month of April. That's he's been much better than that in May. Uh, I haven't checked it in a in a, a couple days, but he was something like eight for 19 off of them uh, for the first two weeks of May. So uh, I, I think. Again, you're seeing him come out of it a little bit. It's not to the extent you want. He's still sitting on two home runs, uh, like we were talking about. The, the lack of power from this lineup has been pretty stark. Uh, and you wonder if he's one of those guys where the ball not flying quite the same way uh, impacts his power a little bit more because, you know, he's a, he's a natural gap-to-gap guy, doubles hitter, who, you know, the power, get, the power when the ball is flying gets there where you can hit for a few more home runs. The Mets have also played a lot of cold weather games. They haven't, you know, they, they got snowed out uh, in Denver. Mm-hmm. They played in Chicago in sub-40 degree weather. That probably doesn't help the ball flying uh, and maybe explain some of their, their lack of power. But we haven't, we just haven't seen the all-fields uh, gap power from Smith that, that we saw last year when he was on uh, a pace for something like 90 extra base hits over 162-game season. Uh, it, it was insane the amount of doubles he was racking up. We just haven't seen that yet this year. Um, but I, I think you're starting to see him come out of that again with, with the way he's handling all pitches now rather than just the fastball. All right, as our check-in with the very injured New York Mets, hopefully things get a little healthier for them uh, going forward. Tim Britton, our New York Mets beat writer, thanks for joining us here today. Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are joined now by Jake Kaplan. Jake covers the Astros for us. And as uh, DVR was saying before we got going, conversely to the team we just talked about, the New York Mets, Astros have been relatively healthy, especially in the lineup. And this team is just hitting all over the place. you got a ton of guys mashing right there with the White Sox in terms of all WRC Plus and WOBA, Team WOBA, as the uh, best offensive teams in the league. Individually, I would like to start 
with Yuli Gurriel. This guy is hitting everything in sight. 338, 408, 576 on the slash line. Seven homers, strong stat cast numbers. What's fueling this rebound that we're seeing from him this season? Yeah, it's been pretty shocking. I I mean, after his 2020, he was he was pretty bad last year. It's been uh really crazy to see how he's continued to improve at age what is he 36? Mm-hmm. Um the big key for him has been he's been more selective at the plate and really from the start of the season he's just not chasing uh as much as he used to. He's known as a free swinger who makes a lot of contact, but that also means a lot of, you know, bad pitches he's he's hitting for not great contact. So he's really kind of just like fine-tune that and it sounds so simple just you know stop chasing but somehow he's done it I think Guriel is a player that I'm wrong about every year when I start to (laughs) believe he has the down year like he did last year when I give up on him he bounces back and does something ridiculous like he's doing right now Uh, Carlos Correa is a guy I'm a little more consistent with Correa I I keep thinking that we're going to get a completely healthy and productive season from him so far so good on the health front really the numbers aren't eye-popping. He's hitting 264 with a 330 OBP and a 428 slugging percentage, but that's 18% better than league average because of this crappy run environment that we're in right now. So uh, what have you seen from Correa so far? Do you think there is a, a power binge on the horizon? You know, I don't know. Um, it's It does feel like it's been a lot of singles, right? Um, it seems like every year we're waiting for that power binge and it hasn't really come in a while. So um, our, our colleague Nick Groke and myself, we did a, a shortstop tiers for, for Thursday that's on The Athletic. And one point I made, it was it was the free agent shortstop tier, so the upcoming free agent class. And one point I made was, you know, like some teams in, in free agency are going to talk themselves into being the one that untaps the, the Correa that we, we've always expected from an offensive standpoint. But there's others who are probably going to say maybe he just is what he is, right? And at some point, you you know, his bat just – it's good, but it's not, um, you know, the amazing elite power that, that you saw in, in early in his career that everyone's always expected. Yeah, it's a loaded free, free agent, excuse me, shortstop class. So definitely going to have to check that out when it is available to us. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, let's get to him here. Obviously cannot argue with the pure numbers that uh, Jordan's putting up. The bottom line is great. 343, 373, 586. He's got seven homers in 150 trips to the plate. One thing that does jump out, and you, you, again, you can't really say it's a negative given what he is producing, but a 3.3% walk rate. He was at 14.1% in his big rookie year in 2019. The minor league walk rates were always in the double digits. So it's just it's just strange. Not necessarily bad, but it's strange. Is this a deliberate change in his approach? Or is it just, hey, things happen in six weeks of baseball and it's going to even out eventually? Yeah, I think it's more the latter. Um, but it is, you're right, it is strange. And I can't really figure it out. I mean, obviously his batting average is up. So maybe he's replaced some of those walks with hits. But um, when you look at the kind of below the hood, there's not anything that stands out. He, he to me at least, uh, maybe you guys can figure it out better than me. But um, I don't know, he still seems to be that same selective guy that his approach is what kind of what separates him. He is, has a really good approach at the plate, and he's he's been the same guy this year. It's just for whatever reason, those walk numbers, he's, he's walked, what, five times in the whole season so far. Yeah, Guriel, I, I think he's a special hitter. I mean, I, I don't 
have a lot of concerns about him at this point. So I've, I'm looking at it more like that blip scenario that was described where it's you know, it's probably not a, a concern. Like we're not looking at Alvarez as this guy that's going to be a sub-5% walk rate hitter going forward. Uh, the Astros do have a lot of injuries on the pitching side, Jake. Jose Urquidy, the latest to go on the IL with shoulder inflammation. Of course, Framber Valdez and Jake Odorizzi have been making their way back as well. Uh, where do things stand with that group? When, when might we begin to see some of those pitchers getting back into the rotation for the Astros? I think you'll see all three pretty soon. Um, Urquidy's is seems like a very minor thing. He's already resumed throwing. Um, I think if they didn't have all these off days and and enough start pitching to get by, they you know there was a chance he didn't even hit the he wasn't even going to hit the IL. So not too much concern there. Uh, Framber Valdez and Jake Odorizzi are each one rehab start into a rehab assignment. Both will make their second starts this weekend. In the uh, in, with Sugarland in AAA, who's now the Astros AAA affiliate after being an indie ball team for all those years. Um, so you know, I think it, you, you think two or three rehab assignment starts for each of those guys, and, and then they're probably back. So the Astros are going to have some inter- interesting decisions, uh, as it relates to Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, the kind of the back end rotation guys who have pitched so well, and what do they what do they do with them, or what do they do with Odorizzi and 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 Arquiti? Yeah, let's uh, let's get into those guys really quick here. Let me start with uh, Javier. Over the last four, bit of a rocky run, giving up a lot of homers. Uh, again, is this a blip on the radar or a cause for real concern? I think like he's going to give up homers because he's he's the he's an elevated four seam guy, right? Mm-hmm. He he. I think he got lucky in the first however many starts that he wasn't giving up homers, and now it's kind of evening out a little bit. Um, but I think if he limits them to solo homers, he's going to be fine. Um, it's just, uh, and th- and I think he has so far for the most part. But it's kind of like that Verlander Cole thing, you know. Uh, maybe not Cole this year, but when he was with the Astros, um, you know, they would, those guys would give up solo homers. So uh, it's part of living up in the zone with your with your four seam fastball. Yeah, Jake, do you get the sense with Luis Garcia just because he's one of the younger options, he's got minor league options remaining, that as everybody gets healthy, that his performance doesn't necessarily dictate that he gets a spot in the rotation, even though he probably deserves it just based on how well he's pitched. Yeah, definitely. I I wrote about this the other day on the site, and my I think it, it was hard to kind of come to a conclusion on what I think they're going to do, but I think what I came to, what I settled on is Garcia to AAA, Javier to the bullpen. Um, just because, like you said, Garcia has options, you know, and they need someone to stay stretched out for the inevitable next injury, right? Like they're not going to get by the rest of the year with just these five guys that are they'll have in two weeks. So they're going to need Garcia to start again at some point. Keeping him out as insurance, stretched out as insurance seems to make a lot of sense. And, and with Javier, we, we've seen him out of the bullpen before. He did it in the playoffs, and he's so good first time through the order that you could see them doing kind of like a multi-inning relief thing with him, especially when you get a bunch of righties in a row because he's dominated righties. Good problem for the Astros when these guys come back, and certainly a good thing for uh, everyone who is invested in those guys who are on their way back. Not necessarily the best thing in the fantasy world for people who have been invested in Christian Javier and Luis Garcia if that indeed does come to fruition and we see those changes with a fully healthy Houston rotation. That's Jake Kaplan, our Houston Astros beat writer here at The Athletic. Jake, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. 
All right, TVR, let's move into the second half of the show here. Now, the last time I was on this show, it was five weeks ago, we uh, played a little game called Is This Real? We were going to look into uh, things that were happening in the majors right then at the moment. We were going to do it every week or mostly every week, and we were going to determine, is this real? And then uh, my daughter decided that she was done waiting and came two <laughs> weeks early, and so I haven't been on the show since then. So I am happy to be back with you talking about this, and I thought we could make up for all that time by just devoting the entire second half of the show to is this real? So here's what I've done. Pulled up a list of uh, the top 25 players or top 25 hitters, excuse me, in Roto value over the last two weeks. And this is, you know, it's a bit of a moving target. I used my home league where we have OBP in place of batting average. So it's a little bit different, but I cross-referenced it with WRC plus, WOBA, OPS plus, stats like that. And they line up Close enough. Where maybe this, maybe one of these players isn't in the top 25 in your league over the last uh, two weeks, but he's probably in the top 30 at worst. So somewhere in there. And we're going to determine whether this is real or not. And I'll also say that when we say it, if we say, yes, this is real, we don't necessarily mean that the first guy we've got, Adolis Garcia, is going to be a top 25 hitter for the rest of the season. But what we mean is that we can buy it. We can buy him being a legitimate easy, no question about it, fantasy player and starter for the rest of the season. So, that sound good? All the ground rules clear? Good ground rules. All right, let's do it. Adolis Garcia, last two weeks, 340, 377, 600, four homers, four steals, 53 plate appearances, a guy we've talked about across our suite of fantasy podcasts. So, I just want to get him in here with this two-week run. How are we feeling about Adolis Garcia? Is this real? I think it's real in the sense that the Rangers do not have a lot of currently ready alternatives to replace him, especially. Mm-hmm. 11 homers, 5 steals. I mean, that, those are great numbers over 35 games. We're talking about a guy that showed power and speed in the minors, was old for the level coming through the minors, so that probably tempered our expectations. He's never really walked all that much at any of his stops, except Double A was where he debuted. He walked 7.6% of the time in 2017 at that level. He's walked 5% or less everywhere he's been until now, and he's only at 5.6% with the Rangers. So he's a flawed player given that combination of elevated K rate, low walk rate, but he does damage when he connects. He makes a ton of hard contact. It's reflected in the barrel rate. The speed gives him another thing for us to get excited about as fantasy Mm -hmm. players. I mean, it's one other way to carry that value. I could see the next... 35 games, including a, a deep slump. Like that's that's the way it works. The league adjusts the players like this. Right. They're forced to adjust back. The projections kind of highlight the risk here. The bat projection has him at 219, 264, 423 the rest of the way. That's with 20 homers, though, in 99 <laughs> games and seven steals. Mm-hmm. So if you can accept the batting average risk, I think you get a nice combination of power and speed. You get Good run production because he's playing every day. Adelis Garcia has had one day off since April 13th. So he's hitting in the middle third of the lineup. He's got a few decent hitters around him. The Rangers lineup as a whole is not good, but they've had a few success stories with Nate Lowe, with Garcia himself, with Nick Solak, and they've got Willie Calhoun. So at least their top four, top five is credible, even though the the bottom four in that lineup might be among the worst in the American League. Yeah, I'm with you here. I think that, uh, you know, I, I was selling uh, Adelis Garcia. I remember you brought him up on, 
it wasn't our first waiver show of the season, but obviously it was one relatively early in the season. And I was, I, I just wasn't feeling it. I was off him. I didn't think that he was going to be able to have the power speed combo that he did definitely show in the minors. I didn't think it was going to be something that would be able to offset all that clear rate risk that he had, batting average, OBP, whatever you use. Obviously, there was going to be some risk there, some significant risk. And I just didn't see it all adding up to still being a big-time plus player. He's proved me wrong over these, uh, not just these last two weeks that we're highlighting here, but really the entire season. So I think there's enough here uh, to buy him. The point you make about him being locked into this lineup that there's really no one or nowhere for them to turn. He could go on an over 30 slump, and it's not like they're going to take him out of the lineup because they're overflowing with options. All that definitely accrues to his benefit, and I think that he is someone who we should be feeling pretty comfortable about. Obviously, he's already been picked up, but I don't think you're going to really be looking away from him for the rest of the season. It would take a, as you mentioned, there's probably a deep slump coming with the adjustments that are going to be made, just how MLB works. But I think we're talking about an extended deep slump before you get concerned about him, not just a, you know, one for 20 or two for 30 or anything like that. I think you're going to have to really see something get ugly for him before you fear what might be happening with Adolis Garcia. And again, with what we've seen from him this season, I just don't really think there's any reason for that to happen. Um, I mean, th- those bat numbers, does that does that feel like a comfortable projection for you, for him, for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I think you could say that the batting average floor might not be quite that bad, but mm-hmm. you got to trust the numbers a little bit here. So if he hits 230 or 240 the rest of the way, then you're ecstatic compared to the, right. the 210 range average you're seeing. I think the player you're keeping an eye on, too, if you if you see Garcia go into a deep slump, you want to look at the numbers of Leody Tavares at AAA. His first 10 games there have been a disaster. He's striking out more than 40% of the time. Uh, looks overmatched right now. So... That's really good news, not for Tavares, but it's good news for <laughs> Garcia because Leody Tavares is probably the future center fielder of the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And even if he's a bottom third of the order hitter who's there mostly for his glove, they have to get his development right. And if he's not ready to come back and take over that job at the big league level again, that affords Garcia even more buffer with his hold in that job. All right, let's move on to our next guy here, Robbie Grossman. The last two weeks, he's hit 283 with a 381 OBP and a 547, excuse me, slugging percentage. Two homers, he's got a steal, he scored 12 runs, 63 plate appearances. Some similar things going on with Grossman uh, that we just talked about with Garcia in that there's not a whole lot of options in this Detroit lineup. He's going to be playing for this team. He's going to be hitting at the top of the order pretty much every single day. So that playing time, that lineup position, that's locked in. That's good. That's going to provide a good floor. How much can we trust the production that we've seen over these last two weeks? Yeah, for Grossman, I took a longer snapshot. I kind of combined his shortened season results with Oakland, with what he's done so far with the Tigers. And you get a guy that's hit 242 over the last two seasons combined, but with a 360 OBP. He's always drawn walks. That's been part of the appeal for Grossman ever since he broke in as a fourth outfielder with the Twins a few years ago. A 125 WRC plus place. It justifies that everyday role that he has in that rebuilding Tigers team. I think the thing that I'm really most surprised by, he's got a dozen home runs in his last 93 games, but he's got 15 steals. And on a Tigers team that needs to find ways to score runs, he's going to keep getting green lights because he's been very successful. I mean, for his career, he's only 44 for 64, not necessarily the kind of success rate where you'd say, yeah, keep running. But the last two seasons, he's 15 for 16. So he's picking his spots really carefully. Maybe he's found some ways to to get better jumps. Uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting is you look at him as a source of 
maybe a little more power than he had in the past. He is hitting the ball in the air more than he ever has at any point in his career. And you'd like to see that for a guy trying to unlock that extra power. Uh, it's a pitcher-friendly environment, so I'm not expecting 20 homers this season from Robbie Grossman. But if he continues to play this much, he should pretty easily cruise past his previous career high. I think he hit 11 back in 2016 as a part-time guy for the Twins. So the projections have him at like 10 to 11 the rest of the way. I'm buying that. Uh, I think if you're in an OBP league especially, he's really stable there. Uh, maybe you get lucky in batting average. He gets hot for a few weeks and he hits 260 or 270 for a stretch instead of the the usual 240. But just a nice, well-rounded player and maybe a guy that ends up getting flipped to a contender at some point as well. I mean, what what reason do the Tigers have to keep him around after the end of July? Anticipating exactly where I wanted to take this discussion. So maybe there's like a tiny bit of risk that a contender is going to trade for him to be a fourth outfielder. I don't think that is the more the likely trade. I would think that the more likely move would be a contender would trade for him to upgrade their weakest outfield position. And even if it ends up happening, you know, that's a risk that you worry about when it happens. It's not a risk you're going to worry about here on May 20th. Some StatCast numbers to back up uh, what you were saying. Uh, A 53 percentile average exit velocity, 52nd percentile in barrel rate. So the fact that he is getting an elevated fly ball rate compared with years past, that's good news because the pure power itself isn't going to drive the home run production for him. And then something that speaks to what you said, picking his spots well on the bases, 68th percentile in sprint speed. And so this does have the look of a guy who is just a smart, savvy base runner, not a guy who's going to, you know, Tony Kemp his way to stolen bases, but who can really read pitchers, know when to steal, read counts, all that, all those things you look for in a smart base dealer. Definitely looks like Robbie Grossman has that at his disposal. Trey Mancini, one of the best stories, of course, in Major League Baseball this season. The dude could hit. We knew that. It's great to see him bouncing back this year. 333-423-711, four homers, 16 RBI in 52 plate appearances the last two weeks. I think this is an easy buy. Again, he this he was he was hitting like this in 2019. Obviously not like this 711 slugging percentage, an OPS over 1100, but he was a very productive hitter for this team before he had to miss a year uh, because of his cancer diagnosis. But Trey Mancini was always a guy who, you know, we thought could be a very well above average, productive major league hitter. We're just seeing that play out over these last two weeks. For me, this is a very easy, yes, this is real, thumbs up. Where are you at on Trey Mancini? Yeah, I think he was one of the easiest guys to root for coming into this season, of course, uh, coming back from uh, cancer treatments a year ago. And as you mentioned, his 2019 was good. Like, there was no... No reason to doubt the power. I think the big question mm-hmm. coming out of that year was, what does the rest of the slash line look like? I mean, if he's going to be uh, at, at his absolute best in a rabbit ball year, if he's going to hit 291, does that mean he's going to hit 291 in a normal environment? And, and I think what we're seeing right now might be a more sustainable level in the long haul. Uh, it's a hitter-friendly park, of course, in Baltimore. The weather hasn't warmed up completely yet, so I think that gives him a chance to go on a nice power tear again later on this summer. Uh, But I think we can definitely look at this and say, hey, look, the Orioles don't have anybody pushing him for playing time. He might be a trade candidate himself, so maybe he loses the park boost that he has right now at some point. But then he'd also have the benefit of better hitters around him, so it might actually be a bit of a wash if he gets traded. I'm in on on Trey Mancini. I think the, the batting average is generally at least good, if not great. I mean, that 242 back in 2018 actually looks like an outlier now in his profile. We've seen... 
uh, a two-year run now with that walk rate staying up in the 8 to 9% range. So he looks like a true middle-of-the-order run producer at this point. You look at the StatCast numbers, a barrel rate in the 89th percentile, a hard hit rate in the 77th percentile. Uh, the guy's just hitting the ball well. Uh, bottom line, he's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting the ball hard consistently, and that is the surest way to positive results. So we are all in here on Trey Mancini. How about Chris Taylor? This is an interesting one, right? We know that the Dodgers are dealing with some injuries, most notably right now at least, to both Cody Bellinger and Corey Seager. The Corey Seager injury opens up pathways to playing time for Chris Taylor, for Matt Beatty. There are a lot of guys they want to get in the lineup. Of course, Albert Pujols now in Los Angeles. So this still remains a deep team, even with the injuries. Chris Taylor, a flexible, versatile player. Obviously, we know for this, we've known this for years, can play multiple positions, infield and outfield, taking advantage of some increased playing time over these last couple of weeks. 343, 477 OBP, a 514 slug. One homer, we know the power isn't going to be huge. A couple of steals, 44 plate appearances. Obviously, this is going to be dependent on playing time, but it seems like the playing time is going to be there enough for him in the short term until some of these other guys start coming back for the Dodgers, and we're still not exactly sure when that's going to happen. So how comfortable are you buying in on Chris Taylor? Maybe it's relative to the other guys in the Dodgers who are going to see increases in playing time. Where do you think Taylor ranks in the pecking order for all of these guys? You know, I think he actually, of all the players we've talked about, he's probably the most underrated of all. I mean, maybe you could say that's Robbie Grossman, but Mm -hmm. I think people appropriately adjust down for him, whereas Taylor might be one notch above Grossman because of the versatility that you mentioned and a slightly longer track record of offering up some useful power for us as fantasy players. Even as they get completely healthy, he's still a priority option in that lineup, and Mm -hmm. his versatility keeps that playing time floor really high even when everybody's back out there. So I'm definitely in on Chris Taylor. I think he was a a relative miss for a lot of people back during draft season. Didn't take much to get him. And here he is offering that usual power and speed combo, kind of pacing out for a 2020 season with a great average. We've seen something like this before. We saw it back in 2017. He hit 21 homers, stole 17 bases that year, and had a 288, 354, 496 line while doing it. I, I think he's an important glue guy for the Dodgers. But he plays more than you think, and I think you want to go out and try and make a move for him. Uh, compared to, like, if you're looking for just a, let's say you're looking for a Mike Trout replacement. You're never going to replace Trout, like, across right. the board in terms of projection because he's the best player in the game in terms of projection. At least with Chris Taylor, you have a guy that can contribute in all of the same categories. And if he, if he and that Dodgers lineup are healthy and productive at the same time, those counting stats might actually look a lot like Mike Trout counting stats for a temporary stretch, albeit with less power. So I think he's exactly the type of guy you're looking for in a trade because what the pe- the person who has him now is going to ask for relative to what he can do is probably a little, a little bit on the light side. Here's another thing that's in his favor. If you just look back over the last week or so, and his his lineup placement has been you know, very positive for him. We know that the Dodgers, as constructed healthy right now, Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, that's the top three in the order. Then you're seeing Chris Taylor pop up in there. He actually hit third a couple of games ago. He's hit fifth a couple of times over the last week. Like He's going to be right up in there. We're not seeing you know, Gavin Lux rise up from the bottom third of the order to take spots in the top third or even in the top half of the order. 
No one else is really going to command being an everyday player uh, among the healthy options, not Pujols, not Yoshi Susugo, who the team uh, recently got from the Rays. Like no one else, and Will Smith, of course, but that's a different breed. No one else is going to be in there every single day. I mean, he's the safest everyday player next to Betts, Muncie Turner, and Gavin Lux. So you're talking about someone who's going to play for this team every day, who is going to be hitting in the top, at least half, we could say the top five of the order, almost certainly when he is out there uh, before Seager and Bellinger are back for this team. Like This all adds up to a very productive player and one who continues to fly under the radar, even though we've seen plenty of uh, regular season production from him, postseason heroics, a guy who's been on the baseball radar for a while and still doesn't quite get the love he deserves in the fantasy baseball world. So two thumbs up from us for Chris Taylor. Last player who I would like to talk about here is Andrew McCutcheon. Now, this is definitely a little bit more of a OBP play than a batting average play. He is hitting 283 over the last two weeks. But it's the 425 OBP that's driving him up some of the leaderboards that I referenced when we first got going here. 522 slugging percentage. Three homers. Love to see that. He's got a steal in his last 62 plate appearances. We know what Andrew McCutcheon has settled into at this stage of his career. Solid veteran. Not the guy who he used to be, but still a very productive player. And that makes me pretty bullish when I see him going like this. How about you, Derek? Yeah, I think he's a, a solid glue guy for outfield depth at this point. I mean, I think the park sort of keeps the power afloat for him a bit being in Philadelphia. If he was in a more neutral or pitcher friendly environment, I'd be pretty skeptical of the power at this point. Uh, I think it's just weird that we've reached this point with McCutcheon, you know, perennial 300 plus guy at his peak and, He's just not a source of batting average anymore. The the type of batted balls that he, he offers are, are not not going to turn into hits all that often. So you do have to kind of recalibrate your old expectations for him, maybe even take the under on the more optimistic projections, the more pessimistic projections for him, like Steamer have him down at 234 the rest of the way, but with some power, 17 homers, six right. steals, and good counting stats being atop a, a Philly lineup that can put a lot of runs on the board. So um, I think it's definitely like a what you see is what you get. I kind of look at him as a guy that is likely to slow down a lot in terms of the power output per game, though, right? He's pacing out mm-hmm. for like a 25 to 28 home run season. If you take what he's done so far and stretch it over a full 162, and I think you'd also be going the risky route expecting that much playing time for him. Given his age, you almost expect, you almost build in a brief stint on the IL or some maintenance days as the season wears on. So I like him, but I'm also not going overboard trying to get him right now. Some of the things we you, that you were saying when you uh, were referencing where you're going to get production, where you're maybe not going to get production, sounds similar to what we talk about with Adolis Garcia. So let's wrap up this discussion and this uh, episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast looking at those two guys. Uh, if the acquisition cost is identical, would you rather have McCutcheon or Garcia? I almost would use my situation in the standings to dictate this if i'm trying to make up ground and catch lightning in a bottle i think it's garcia I and mean, you get more barrels you have a higher ceiling for production and i think you get a little more balance between the runs and the rbis based on where he hits in the order uh, if i'm just trying to stay afloat and i lost someone like trout because of an injury in that case maybe mccutcheon makes a little bit more sense because he's less likely to collapse and lose his job later on this season right i think the way mccutcheon doesn't play is injury garcia has injury plus performance risk that's Mm -hmm. more heavily baked in but uh, if you maybe just choose in a vacuum slight edge to Garcia I I think that barrel rate is just off the charts good right now and he could just do so much damage even if that K rate stays in the the 28 percent 30 percent range like we've seen so far 
Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I think you nailed it exactly. And uh, the vacuum does lead me uh, to Garcia as well, just because of I want to buy a guy who seems like he maybe is taking a step forward rather than sticking with a totally steady, totally safe. Very happy if I already have a Andrew McCutcheon, but if I'm going out to try to get one of these guys, I'm going to shoot for the ceiling. I really don't see the floor being that much lower for Adolis Garcia. And hopefully the floor on this show was very high as well, but that's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Derek and I will be back with you on Sunday as we look at fab and waivers for the upcoming week. And we'll be back live with you on StreamYard. So be sure to check us out. We'll put the link out. We'll be able to get your questions in. All that fun stuff coming back your way this Sunday. Uh, To Tim Britton and Jake Kaplan, thanks so much for joining us. I am Michael Beller. We'll talk to you later.